Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us today on the program again. I, I trust that uh, uh, you've been tuning in every week. Uh, last week, uh, I had on the set with me my oldest son, Jeremy, who pastors a great church in Winchester, Virginia, and uh, there'll be information on the screen as how you can contact uh, Jeremy, but he pastors a church in Winchester, Virginia that meets on Monday nights. It's a church plant there that they planted a few years ago, and uh, you'd be blessed if you live in Northern Virginia, especially in the Winchester, Virginia area, to come be a part of there. Uh, also, I would just encourage you to check my website from time to time. I am a traveling ministry, and we are coming to a city near you, and we would love it. We are really enjoying meeting our television audience that are coming out to different places where we're sharing and ministering, and uh, be sure and come up to us and tell us you're watching. It really, it really encourages us, and uh, we, we appreciate that. And so you could check for our schedule on our website as well. We've been teaching from the book of Revelation. Uh, I wrote a book back in 2000 dealing with many of the concepts that we're sharing. That's available to you. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some information again on the screen where you can get that. But uh, that, that's what we're teaching from that particular thought. What we've been sharing for the last uh, uh, little season has been the whole concept of uh, repentance. Again, once again, the word repent should not be in the mind of a believer a bad thing because it simply means to change the way you think, to have a paradigm shift. Uh, that's something that's been ongoing in my life ever since I've, I've got in the Word because I'm still changing my mind. You know, one thing I was thinking today is I was thinking about, you know, uh, how there are so many different veins of thought and so many different revelations out there that sometimes it's almost overwhelming and can get confusing. And I think what happens is, is that I thought, I was thinking just a little while ago when I was standing out on the porch, I, I was thinking about how truth is somewhere always in the middle. And I got to thinking when I was thinking about that, Jeremy, about the cross. Yeah. The truth was in the middle. <laughs> on the right or the left is a thief. And if we are on the right or the left of our theologies, it will become a thief to us. Yeah. But it's somewhere, truth is always somewhere in the middle. And it always centers in the cross, it always centers in Jesus. If it does not fit the filter of the cross, if it does not center in Jesus, it is not the gospel. Our emphasis is always to raise up Jesus on this program, to put Him in the preeminence. And I believe when you do that, that's how we bring balance to truth. Because what happens is you see people that are extreme in either the objective side of the gospel or extreme in the subjective side of the gospel. Or uh, in other words, they emphasize all of what God did in Christ, and uh, that's all they emphasize. Or they emphasize uh, you know, the subjective side, which is what man's response is to that. But it's not either or, it's both of them. Mm -hmm. It is the way of grace. That's what God did in Christ. That's a finished work, has nothing to do with you. But the subjective side of it is the walk of faith. It's how you respond to what you've got a revelation of what God doing, that faith comes by hearing, and even faith is not a work. It's something that comes as a result of hearing the true gospel. Last week we were dealing with the church at Pergamos and the transition that they are making. And Pergamos, as we began to share with you last week, is a, uh, a word that literally means mixed marriage, or uh, it, ha it has to do with polygamy. And what we shared with you last week is that this is not dealing with uh, some ethnic background or some <coughs> racial issue. It's dealing with the mixture of law and grace. And we showed you out of Romans 
the seventh chapter, that the Bible said that, uh, Know ye not, brethren, I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he's alive. But if that husband, you know, uh, but the woman, it goes on to say, For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he's alive. But if the husband is dead, she is free from that law of her husband so that she can be married to another man. And then it tells you the key to this verse is verse 4, Romans 7, verse 4. And he says, for I speak, he's telling them that, you know, uh, the paradigm shift here is that, uh, that we should be married to another, yeah. even to him who was raised from the dead. And my primary thought was that when you've got a mixture and you're preaching law and grace, you've got people married to Adam and Christ. Because from the God's viewpoint, there's only ever been two men in the earth. The first man was out of the earth. He was earthy. I always tell people Adam was a dirt bag. Mm -hmm. But the, he was the man of dust. He was the sand man. Yep. Uh, but the second man was the Lord from heaven. And uh, we, we, we are married to another. So uh, what really profoundly hit me years ago as I was teaching that is if verse 4 says that we should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that's clear to me he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So this woman has to be the church. But what we've done in the American church is we've continued to remind this woman called the church. We've tried to continually uh, get her to go back to her first husband, Adam, yep. who, by the way, is a dead man. He's dead. Because yep. Romans 6 says, reckon then your old man to be dead. And he goes, uh, you know, that we were crucified with Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. So what, what I began to see was, is that Jesus knows something in Romans 7, has to, or he would have never married us. Yep. Because if Jesus married us, and my first husband, Adam, is still alive, then I'm an adulteress. Yep. So that's the adulterous relation. That's the mixture here that's going on. And the deliverance that he's bringing to this church at Pergamos is he's got a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So what he's doing, <coughs> again, is that two-edged sword is the word that flows from rest, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharp. And it's not just any word, but it's the word, the context there is it flows from rest. But the truth of it is, Jeremy, is that we're not going to get married. We're already married to Christ. He's already my husband. If he's not, it's illegal for me. If the new covenant is not my marriage certificate, if that covenant doesn't give me, if I'm not married to him, I have no legal right to be intimate, and I have no legal right to use his name. But I'm telling you, we got a legal right to use his name. we got a legal right to intimacy. And uh, the new covenant gave us that right. And what I've done is I've begun to realize that, man, I'm, I am not going to, to continue to hold up Adam's pictures and place them around everywhere where I'm reminded of my old relationship. You know, if you ever got, had a, a spouse or something that either you got divorced from or, uh, you know, you had, uh, uh, that had passed off the scene, mm -hmm. if you had pictures of her hanging everywhere and you had a new wife, that wouldn't fly very well if you've got her picture hanging everywhere. But that's what we do, yep. is we bring people to church, and every week we remind them of who they used to be married mm -hmm. to. And even I sometimes look at this, and I think about even, you know, the behaviors that people had. It's because it's stuff they learned in their, it's, it's not that Adam's still alive, it's just habits, and it's just stuff that are, you know, people say, well, if Adam's dead, then why am I still acting like this? It's because you learned some stuff in your first marriage sure. that you need to change your mind about. Yep. Because if you got it in a new marriage and you were married to somebody else and they say, well, where'd you learn that at? 
and, and you said, well, I learned that from my first wife. Well, I'm telling you, it's probably going to be a real fight breakout right there. <laughs> and so some of the things we need to do, <coughs> again, is move away from a paradigm of connecting. We need to move away from our connection and identity in Adam and in the old man of dust and realize that I was a spouse to Christ on Calvary's tree. That's where I got, uh, that's where I got a spouse. I believe we consummated the revel relationship, to be technical about it, in about 70 A.D., when an old Jerusalem passed off the scene and God got married to a new Jerusalem. It was the bride, the lamb's wife, the community of faith, the household of faith, God's people who are made up of both Jew and Gentile. And with that, I'll just let you jump in there for a minute and, and say You know, as you, even as you look at Pergamos, uh, which name means mixed marriage, or uh, it also can be a polygamous marriage. Where yeah. you're, you're, they're trying to marry you to a lot of different things. You look at that, and he's, you know, he's got... You've got a lot of things going on. First, he's going, you know, you're you're there where Satan's seat is, and you've got those that hold to the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate, and you got those teaching the era of Balaam going yep. on. So you've got several things happening. And as I was thinking, just as you were talking about, uh, you know, even how uh, there's, even in Christianity, there's so many doctrines of belief even yep. in one you can it's have polytheistic one, yeah. one doctrine can have many doctrines attached yeah, to yeah, it yeah. depending on who you're hearing yeah. teach it it's just like grace there's a thousand flavors of grace yeah. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes those things can be confusing then you have people fighting over which flavor of grace you are or which uh, you know uh, uh, denomination you're from and, and then it's almost you know and, and where our focus should be on Christ Instead, it's our, our focus is on whether our denomination is right or whether our doctrine is the correct doctrine. And, and I believe if we ever stop looking at all the different doctrines and start really causing our focus to be on Christ, it's going to change it. And I was thinking, as I was thinking of that, I was thinking of uh, this era of Balaam. And, and, you know, you've heard me teach on Balaam before, but uh, Balaam in, in the chapters of, num in, num in the book of Numbers, chapters especially 23, 24, uh, there's a man by the name of Balak who, who hires Balaam to curse the people of God. And, you know, we, we know the story of Balaam's donkey talking to him and those kinds of things. But he gets to this place, and Balaam ta or Balak takes Balaam up to a part in the mountain. And, and Balaam tells him, I want you to go sacrifice seven bulls, or, or yeah, seven bullocks, seven rams on seven altars, and I'm going to go up into the mountain, and I'm going to look at, ba at the uh, children of Israel, and I'm going to try to curse them for you. But he goes up into a part in the mountain, and, and what's happening is, is Israel is at rest. Mm -hmm. at, is, their camp is at rest at the time, and they don't even know the enemy is surrounding them, trying to plot against them. Mm -hmm. They're just at rest. And Balaam goes up into one part of the mountain, and, and God speaks to him and says, You cannot curse what I've blessed, for I've blessed Jacob. And he, you know, so he goes down and he, he gives this, this uh, revelation to Balak. And Balak says, you know, I hired you to curse the people. He says, well, maybe if I take you to another part of the mountain, you know, if you see them from another angle, maybe you'll be able to curse them. So they go up into another part of the mountain and another angle, and they, you know, do the same thing, sacrifice seven bulls and seven rams on seven altars. And he goes up, and man, God gives him an even greater blessing about Israel. Mm -hmm. And so he comes down and he blesses Israel again. And he, well, this time the king's pretty upset about this. He said, you know, I've really hired you to curse this people rather than, and you keep coming back and blessing them. Yep. He said, maybe we go up into another part of the mountain and you can get the full view. He said, I'll take you up to another part where you can really get the full view of what Israel's really like. And when you see them that way, you're going to curse them. But when he gets the full view of them, he comes back and gives them the biggest blessing 
that he could possibly give them tells them there is no way you can curse. God sees no iniquity in them. He sees nothing wrong with them. He has blessed them and you can't curse them. Now, when, when I looked at that and said, you know, you, God sees no iniquity in them, God had been punishing Israel throughout that whole wilderness journey for different things they've been doing. But in the moment when Balaam looked at them at rest, he couldn't find no iniquity yeah. in them. And when I began to look at that, I thought about the camp at rest. When the camp was at rest, they would take and set the tabernacle in the middle of it. Yep. Well, that tabernacle, the arrangement of the furniture was in the shape of a cross. Each yep. one of the different pieces of furniture spoke of the work of, of Christ, even though at the time they didn't know it. It yep. was still veiled in shadow. But when the camp would at rest, they would camp uh, three tribes on the east, three tribes on the west, three tribes on the north, three tribes on the south. They would, they would camp in the shape of a cross, but they would camp with their eyes, not looking towards the mountains that surrounded them, watching for enemies. They camped looking solely upon this, this tabernacle. Yep. In other words, their focus was on nothing but Christ. Yeah, and the cross. And the cross. They were focusing on that, so they wasn't worried about the enemy. So therefore, God, they couldn't be cursed. They couldn't be, even if the enemies attacked, there was no way the enemy and could And that's why they them. could be at rest, was be they were camped in the shape of a cross. They were absolutely at rest with no other focus except for this, this tabernacle. Yep. And it, like I said, when you study the tabernacle, the whole thing screams of Jesus in his finished work. Absolutely. And so when I begin to think about even this Pergamos, and that is name meaning much marriage and all the things that, you know, you could put your focus, this church has a lot of things it could really put its focus on. It could be putting its focus on, well, Satan has its seat on here and let's try to figure out how to, you know, how to, get rid, of the devil. How to get rid of the devil and what we got to do to fight the devil and, you know, and, and, and how bad everything was around him. Or they could be focused on, man, God hates this deeds of the Nicolaitans and how are we going to deal with the Nicolaitans? How are we going to change what the Nicolaitans are doing? And we got those that are teaching the heir of Balaam and we better get, deal with, there were so many things they could be dealt with, but I believe that God begins to say, in that moment, you've got those that teach the heir of Balaam, but you've got to remember what defeated Balaam, is that there, there was a people who had nothing but their focus solely upon Jesus and his finished work. When, I believe if we would ever change our focus from a focus of all the preach, stuff son, that's around here, <laughs> focusing on what doctrine we're believing in, if it's the right aspects of grace, if it's the right, if we're, you know, if it's all this junk that we've been taught, and really just ch change our focus, because I believe those things, if we focus on other things, other than solely focusing on Jesus, it's going to bring a curse yeah. into our midst. Yeah. That's what's going to be the stumbling block that causes us to fail and causes us to fall and causes us to look away from who Christ is. It's what brings us out of rest. But yeah. if we bring a focus that's solely upon Jesus and Jesus alone and stop looking for the other stuff, I believe it. I, I think the problem has been is that we've been taught to look at everything else rather than just simply looking upon Jesus. Yeah. We're looking upon, are we preaching the right doctrines? Are we preaching the right aspects of grace? Do they believe grace like I believe yeah. grace? You know, and, Do they believe this aspect of it? We fall out yeah. over... You know, even things like, do you tithe, do you not tithe? And, you know, there's all variations of that. Or do you believe it's okay to do this? And we get all, you know, all messed up on the divisive things, yep. you know, rather than stay the focus even, on Him. Even in my journey, even in my journey to grace and God opening grace to me, 
my from from 10 years ago when God first started showing me grace my my doctrine of grace has changed yeah and the reason why it's changed is not because grace has changed it's because my focus has started gotten sharper upon Jesus and Jesus alone as my focus I'm not upset when people see things or, or begin to use their freedom for uh, uh, lasciviousness sometimes yep. because sometimes that's what happens when they first start seeing grace what my, my concern is is that when that become when that doc when when that focus of grace becomes the doctrine rather than Jesus yeah becoming the focus yeah because when you when Jesus becomes the focus then it begins to change our doctrine it begins to change our focus it begins to change our bent we begin to repent or change our mind yeah. about how we see things so uh, my, my belief, and it'll even bring them back from lasciviousness when yep. they get a right revelation uh, because here's you've got we, we, we've got even I, you know I turned on Facebook today and there's I've got so many friends from so many different backgrounds and there's fights over we're not using grace to the extreme or we're using grace to the extreme mm -hmm. you know and, and and it's this constant fight and we can't come to no common ground in other words when this camp was at rest they were not focusing on each other's differences yeah they were focusing on this tabernacle yeah. in other words they were focusing on Jesus alone and in the midst of focusing on Jesus they were also watching each other's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, when you see this beast, even in Revelation, that's got eyes before and behind, to me that's a beast. That's the, that's that's, the one in the fourth chapter of Revelation. The that's beast, one yeah, of the, the living fourth, creature. The living creature with eyes before and behind. Yeah. That's really the camp that was at rest, that was watching each yeah. other's back. They're Good constantly, they got their focus on Jesus, but they also got their focus on <laughs> their brother. Not pointing out what's wrong with their yeah. brother and how his, their brother is falling and what's, you know, what how they're misled or how they're, because sometimes we're sitting on different sides of the camp and our focus yeah. is different. We're yeah. seeing different aspects of things. That's so good. rather than pointing out some differences about each other, we should be watching each other's back and still say, but our focus is still on Jesus. We're Powerful still reminding stuff. ourselves that the focus is on Jesus and Jesus is alone and not the differences of whether or not we're believing the right things or you're believing like I'm believing. It's, it's simply bringing our focus back to Jesus yeah. because this moment we start talking about Jesus, maybe I'm seeing a different aspect of Jesus. Because I'm on a different That's side. The thing. He's so multifaceted. He's manifold. So rather than telling you that you're not seeing, you must not be seeing the right thing because I'm seeing something different. Because yeah, yeah. I'm on another side of this tabernacle. In other words, I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing. Yeah, and to make it clear, it's like if, I, in other words, you got a camp that's camped east. The, and their focus is towards the tabernacle. Yep. It's towards the cross, so to speak. Yep. And I'm, I'm, I'm camped on the opposite side. Then I'm looking east. You're looking west. But what I should be doing is watching your back while you're watching my back. And then to even to add to that, God says in the book of Isaiah, I'll be your rear guard. Yep. I got your back. So when, when God's got your back, and then you got one another's back. Yeah. That's where we ought to be. That's just, I think it's powerful today yeah. because that's what really needs to happen in the body of Christ is, is I got your back, man, yeah. you know. Well, you know, you think about, again, when that camp was at rest, I believe You can't the, curse people like uh, that. I, and like I said, when this camp was at rest, I believe on the east side is where you entered into the tabernacle, if I'm correctly. And so there, they, the first piece of furniture they saw was the brazen altar. But the, the west side, their first focus is the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. That's true. So there's some that say, well, it's all about the death of Jesus. Yeah. 
You know, it's, it, it's all about his death. And there's another on the west side, they're going, no, man, it's all about his resurrection. It's all about... Or it's the all about the candlesticks, about the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. And the other see the table ship, no, no, it's about eating the bread of his face. Yeah. No, no, it's about the uh, altar of incense. It's about praise and worship. No, no, it's, yeah, but it's just that we're all seeing a and different... And we've broken relationship well, over it. Oh, that's powerful. We've broken relationship over it and thinking they're not seeing the right things. They're not... Yeah. They're, they're wrong about what they're seeing. No, they're right about what they're seeing. Yep. But we're not going to see the whole picture unless we begin to come together and begin to share, not in fighting over your wrong, because it's all about this uh, Ark of the Covenant. No, no, it's all about this brazen altar. No, no, it's all about this or that. And start coming together and say, I'm just going to describe to you what I'm seeing. Yeah. But I'm seeing Christ in a candlestick is yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah. I'm seeing Christ in a brazen altar. I'm seeing Christ in a most holy place and begin to not fight over it, but begin to come together so we see a whole picture of Christ so that it doesn't separate anyone yeah. from the love of God. That's, but only, well, that's the only place that man. the enemy can come among them, Satan, is when you've got a bunch of division. You know, yeah. I think one of the biggest tricks of the adversary in our time has not been uh, so much that, the, you know, like I said, the gospel of grace has come. But then you've got those who want to fight uh, you know, rather than have you back and listen to this aspect of it. You know, I think about, we say, well, it's hyper grace. Well, you know, the scripture, it, I, I believe the word where which said, we're said about is grace will super about is, I believe the Greek word hooper, mm -hmm. which we get our word hyper from. And the truth of it is we've preached hyper all so long. Maybe it's time to preach some hyper mm -hmm. grace. But the truth of it is, is there is truth in every camp. Yep. As like I said in an earlier program, truth is always somewhere in the middle. It hangs between two thieves on a cross. And if you get too far to the right, too far to the left, they're both thieves. Mm -hmm. But when the focus becomes Christ, and the, you can't curse people who are a camp at rest. And I believe that really the, one of the biggest things that I've seen really is muddying the waters of grace comes with, you know, the different things that are, are thrown in the water until we become divisive rather than... Well, it, even when this camp was at rest, there was a camp Judah. There was a camp Simeon. There was a camp Benjamin. Yeah. And we can all go, well, I'm this camp. Yeah. Or we can come together. When the camp was at rest, they were not a Judah. camp. They were a nation. They were Israel. One holy at nation. Rest. Yeah. God says, I cannot. When Balaam stood up and saw them not separated but together, he said, I cannot curse Israel because I have seen them at rest in their if tent. If God has blessed Jacob, who can curse him? And he rears back and really blesses him. Yep. But it is not from a division. No. Nah. It's from a singularity of those that are simply focused upon Jesus and Jesus alone. What's going to cause this church, what's really going to cause repentance amongst us yeah. is when we see ourselves not as this camp, that camp, this denomination, that denomination, this belief system, that belief system, but as a nation that has a singular focus yeah. on Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we can sit down together at the same table and begin to talk about the things we're seeing without fighting. Yep. They'll begin to say, but I and see you, a candlestick. And you know, so much, so I, I have seen so many times, and you know, one of the things I've uh, uh, really been studying recently is uh, once again the objective and subjective sides of the gospel. The objective side is what God did in Christ outside of any human effort at all. I call that the way of grace. Yeah. God, for instance, made the mercy seat, and the, He told Moses to make the mercy seat before He ever told Him to make the altar. Because the tabernacle of Moses even is primarily, first of all, not about man's approach to God. It is about God's approach to man. Yep. 
And so God must first come out with a mercy seat. That's the first piece of furniture. That's the way of grace. But then you've got those that only emphasize that, and so it's all what God did. It's all uh, nothing to do with my response. But see, uh, God comes out. Mercy seat, He comes, He's flowing out. But our response to what God did is we come in. We come to the blood of the brazen altar. We come to the water baptism of the brazen labor. So that's the subjective side of it. In other words, it's like I said, you know, we've been reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Every man has been reconciled by the death of His Son. That's a fact of objective truth. Yep. The subjective side of that is we've been given a ministry of reconciliation to say to people, be ye reconciled to God. But here's where the division's at. The sovereignty side or the objective side is always emphasizing Calvinism, while the other side is emphasizing Arminianism or Plato, Socrates, sovereignty, free will. And it's not either or. Maybe it's all of the above. In other yeah. words, like you said, you've got to look over my shoulder and say, you know what? You do have some truth. And this is where I come to. There's a lot of guys out there that are saying some stuff about sovereignty. It's all true. And then, but the problem is, is we don't believe the guys on the subjective side are saying, yeah, but you know, there's some faith that works with this. It's not only grace, it's grace and faith. Yeah. And even faith is not a work. It's a response to grace. It's not something you manufactured. It's something God did in Christ. And my response to that is, for instance, I could say it like this. I was healed 2,000 years ago. By whose stripes you were healed. Yeah. That's a fact of objective truth. But my foot's hurting. Mm -hmm. Seeing people watching us saying, yeah, I hear all the objective side of it, but I don't see it operating in my life. That's because we don't preach both sides of it. And an overemphasis of either side gets us to the right thief of the cross or the left thief of the cross when we need to stay right smack dab in the middle and say maybe it's not either or. Maybe it's all of the yeah. above. And maybe if we could just put the emphasis and realize, you know what, there are some responses. It's like if I said to you, Jeremy, I just put $5,000 in the bank for you. You can go, hallelujah, glory be to God, isn't that wonderful? But if you don't believe it enough to go write a check on it, then it's going to stay in the bank. And that's where we're at with a lot of this stuff is we preached an overemphasis on the subjective side or the sovereignty issues. And I'm not taking anything from any of those. No. They are absolutely powerful. And when I look at the arguments, many times I'm thinking, you're right. You're absolutely right. What you're defending is true. That's right. And then you read somebody else's poster or something and you say, that's right. That's absolutely, it is exactly. Both sides yep. are right because it is the way of grace and it is the walk of faith. It's not either or. It's all of the above. And when you see a people come into that kind of arrest, then I'm going to tell you, you got each other's backs, mm -hmm. and then God's got your back, and then you're not feeding on things offered to idols, false concepts about God, and the curse is removed from among you, the mixture's gone, the whole, you know, error of Balaam is out of the picture, yep. and it's one whole truth. We're just about to run out of time. These times are good. This is a powerful, I believe, a real important. Uh, segment we've done. Tell your friends about us. Once again, you know, tune in every week at the same time. If you like what you're hearing, call the number on the screen, send us an email, hit us on our public profile page on Facebook, and uh, call the number on the screen. If you want to become a partner with our ministry and help us to take this kind of a gospel literally around the world, we welcome that help. We thank you for joining us in. Tune in again next week at the same time. God bless you. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. 
flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.